Yeah, it, it helps that you actually have a comedian that does this, that podcast. And yes. It's hard when people are like, this is a perfect topic to start on actually yes that is because i feel like i'm still getting better at um like not like telling people what to do but like highly suggesting like hey bring bring the mic a little Mm -hmm. closer it'll sound better because you can tell when it's when you're talking like that and then when you're talking like it's a huge my first podcast i was just a little bit too far it was about right here but you could still tell a difference and immediately the audio got better on like the second episode little things like that so, so how long have you been doing yours? Um, I started mine probably a little over a year ago. I still haven't. I've still been taking a break. Me and Angel are going to record this next week. But since I got shot, I just took a little break off the podcast because I think it was. Um, I think one of the things that got me to t- realize I need to take a break from that is like when Angel approached me to do an episode after I got shot. He's like, "Yo, dude, I think you should come on and talk about it." And it was like the week I got out of the hospital, and. Um, I got on stage right away and I made a couple like jokes about it. And obviously you saw my acting, yeah, you know, I, I talk that. about it on stage now, yeah. but I told him, you know, I don't know if I'm quite ready to talk about it on the podcast. I said, cause when I'm on stage, I can control the narrative of where it's funny. I could like make it funny, but if I just tell the story, it's, it's not. And it was so fresh yeah. that I was like, yo, I think it's just needed a little bit of time, especially if I was going to have guests on and they start firing off some like questions about it that I wasn't really me- just more mentally prepared to like, you know, process and, and go through. So now it's been, it's been three months and I think I'm ready to get back on that as well. Yeah. The, dude, the fact that you got back on stage, cause I, cause I, you told the story very well over on Buck's podcast, the BS show. Yeah. That was the only time I really talked about yeah. it was, and that was, this is only the second podcast I've guested on since then. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, well that's an honor. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, definitely. But, uh, yeah, listen, anyone, uh, who's listening to this right now or watching, definitely go check that out because the way you explain it and the way you go into detail, like it's perfect. Yeah. That was it. perfectly articulated. Yeah. Um, you're a very good storyteller, whether Thank it was you. something super, obviously super dark and very tragic yeah. like that. Or, I mean, just seeing you on stage. It's my uh, style. Like you're when great. It, when it ultimately comes back to like when people are like, what do you do on stage? You know, I could say that I'm observational or I somewhat physical and, and but ultimately, I'm a storyteller, and a lot of it is just talking about where I come from, and like, not not just like straight making up stories. It's like just stories of me growing up in New Mexico, stuff about our culture, stuff about our family, stuff of like like that. That's I just want people to when I get off stage, I want you to have an idea who I am. I don't want uh, to be this comedian that gets up, does a couple topical jokes about the current events, a couple COVID jokes, a couple political jokes. They get off. And you have no idea who you just saw. Like, I want you to be like, oh, think that's the guy. Even before I got shot. Well, now everybody's like, oh, that's that dude that got shot. <laughs> literally, literally I'll, tell, I'll jump into a story about that later. But I, even before then, I wanted people to be like, oh, that's the dude from New Mexico. Or that's the guy. Like, And, and I felt like that's what sticks with people more. So No, I agree. And, dude, that, like I said, that is just, that's a hell of a move to, what, 10 days later? Get back on stage? It, <laughs> it was f- four, really. Holy fuck fuck yeah from getting out of the hospital yeah so what what was that decision making process like or was there a process of getting on so what it was is so i got a i got shot that went late wednesday night on 420 so basically thursday so i was in the hospital thursday to monday and monday i got out of the hospital um my dad you know walked me out josh runnier good buddy met us down there picked me up and uh i live right above founders which is uh where the monday night open mic is so it's not like i was like had had them drive me or you know a big mission because i was like 
no energy. But right. my doctor also didn't want me to walk around the block. Like there was some movement that needed to be done. So the, basically what happened is we were getting ready to do a little stroll around the block. And I told my pops, I was like, look, don't get mad at me. I was like, but I got to go downstairs and I just want to do a few minutes. And uh, so I text the host. I was like, hey, I'm going to pop down, but don't like say anything because I didn't want to like Holy them to shit. rustle feathers. And yeah, I popped in after being in the hospital. And also it was easier too to see every, like all the comedians. It was easier to go to see them than have everybody come up and see me at my loft kind of thing. And so I just popped in, just said hi to everyone. for, And I was only on stage for like three minutes, two minutes. You know, so when people are like Zach got on stage, it's not like I was like doing an hour. Well, still the, the fact that you're yeah. you're exerting energy, you're you're doing things like that's crazy. It, looking back at it, it, was a lot. It's a bit much, and that's just who I am. I think and in my nature, but I think I just I needed a laugh. I need to grab a microphone and get a laugh for my mental health. Like for my, that's like I just needed to know that I I still had that. Like I felt like so much was taken from me. Oh wow! And and um. Just the even, like, I didn't really know where life was going to go. So as long as I could grab, like, a mic and get a laugh, I knew something was going to be okay. Are you having to do any, like, PT or any kind of, Yeah, so PT is going to be kind of weird as far as they haven't put me on a specific regimen. Like, there's certain things I need to do. um, Now that the scar is healed, I have to, like, actually massage out the scar. We're, like, weird stuff like that. But, yeah. Um, So I go to the gym still for PT. Um, Have to take it real easy. And that's been hard, too. Like, three months already of being super easy in the gym like i even had the dude spot me the other day on the bench press and i had like like a 45 on and i was like dude i haven't this is, i'm going heavy today <laughs> and i shouldn't even be doing that the doctor told me i shouldn't be lifting more still than like 50 pounds but it's so hard yeah to find that line of like still pushing it and not doing too much because were you uh were you heavy in the gym beforehand i was super about it that yeah. was my thing like it, i mean my friend, if you personally knew me, like was thing. My pops is always a bodybuilder. I've been into training for a long time. I have a coach and everything, but I did something I did for myself. I never yeah. plan on like competing. I'm sure we actually uh, run in the rings with a lot of the same buddies. Like, so Dion's my coach, Dion Santiago. That sounds really familiar. Yeah, he's super a, he, familiar. He just got his pro card. He's from here, but he lives in Tampa now. Um, Jimmy from Pork, uh, Peak Sports is a good buddy. Oh of mine. yeah, and that's, yeah. So Jimmy's my good buddy. Um, Anthony Garcia, he's another competitor and trainer is one of my f- good friends from high school that actually got me more serious with it because uh, I was always just into lifting weights after, like, post-high school, like, college years. Like, it's fun, kind of funny. And when I was growing up, I was a real big kid, chubby kid. I talk about it in my act. And then I lost weight at the end of high school, but I never was, like, in shape. And it wasn't until freshman year of college I got a gym membership. And then little by little, just got into it more and more. And probably about three years ago, I got a coach just to stay more accountable more yeah. than anything. and help out with like the food and stuff and just be on it. Cause I was like, if I'm going to pay for it and be sending a dude nudes every Saturday morning, cause it's essentially what you're doing. No, yeah. That's what training is. You're paying That's exactly to what send a guy is. naked pictures of you <laughs> oh and critique them. It's the most, it's, it is the worst only fans. It is. <laughs> it is. Cause it's worse than a dick rating. It's anything. It's like, tell me how much like, and it's from a pro bodybuilder. Yeah, like, so yeah. they, they're all like, they're always going to look better than you. Their thumb is going to look more muscular. <laughs> so I'm just paying this dude to send him a nudes and tell him how, how I still look like shit. So no. So I was really into it. Um, and even before the roast, I had kind of done a little bit of a cutting cycle because my buddies had, the comedian buddies had been like making fun of me about taking my shirt off on stage. Cause like I had been still, I'd give a couple lap dances on stage. It got a little wild. It was like kind of a gradual progression of, 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 of a joke that just kept escalating. And 
I for sure was waiting for somebody to do a roast of me about me taking my shirt off. Yeah. So I was like ready filling myself that night and, and, uh, and yeah, definitely stomach will never look the same again. But, oh God. But yeah. Well, cause I just, I see on your, on your Instagram story, you're in the gym all the fucking time. It's my, it's, it's my, it's uh, awesome. It's no, it's my, awesome to see. Thing. Yeah. Cause like most people, cause I mean, I've certainly never been fucking shot. I feel like most people haven't, but once yeah. that's a life changing thing. Yeah. And so most people just give up right there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not doing anything to ever like put myself in danger to ever do any risk. No. Like, because mm-hmm. I, I commend you, man. Yeah, that's I awesome. That a lot. And then on top of that, like, especially uh, entrepreneurial speaking. Yeah. Like you're living the fucking dream right now, dude. You like know, you're starting like what everyone dreams of. You've got you pretty much have a residency at the Lobo Theater. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a good lead. Any, yeah, I have my uh, monthly showcase at the Lobo Theater at least to the end of the year. Which is really my timeline of wanting to be in New Mexico. Um, I really want to get out of here and take this career somewhere else. And I feel like I've done just about everything I could do here. You know what I mean? I've, I've done a lot with comedy. I've produced a lot of shows. I've headlined basically near everything. You know, I've headlined the comedy festival, the first night of the comedy club. Uh, it's just, And then there's just so many. I always tell myself when I started comedy, in five years, that's the time you need to get yourself stage ready to go anywhere. And... I'm five years in. That's why we did, you know, one of the reasons why we did the roast of everything. And after getting shot, after so many little things, I, all the signs are telling me like, yeah, bro, you got to go now. Like this is, you're done. That here. was your send off getting shot. It was that like, was the Albuquerque send off. <laughs> it really was. It's like, you're done here, bro. <laughs> whatever you, the, whatever's next is out there. And I, tr- and I love doing comedy on the road. I've already been on the road twice, uh, two weekends out of this month. Um, I was supposed to have Colorado Springs this Saturday, but I was actually really happy that we scheduled it because I have my Lobo show Sunday. Yeah. So I would have had a show here Friday, had to drive to Colorado Springs Saturday, drive back. That's not fun. And then, yeah. And then, so I, I knew I would have just been low energy for Sunday. Yeah. And that's like my show I'm looking forward to the most. So I really wanted to, I, I'm like, I was, when I, I was a little relieved for that. And now it sounds funny in comedy. I've been like any other time I've been so bummed if an out of state show, but just with the circumstances and having comedians here waiting for me. I was like, okay, well, maybe this worked out for for the best, so yeah. have a little bit more time to promote for Sunday. The podcast is brought to you by one of our brand new sponsors, Bucked Up Nutrition. Look, it's no secret that I love going to the gym. Fitness and nutrition is a huge part of my life, and Bucked Up has partnered up with the podcast, helped support it. I cannot be more excited. This is one of my favorite P workouts. It's a high stimulant nootropic. I'm hitting PRs today, so I cannot wait to use this. The Banff Black by Bucked Up Nutrition. They've also got, as you can see, some awesome clothing here. Um, I With my t-shirts, I personally prefer the low... Uh, short logo here. Use our promo code at checkout, OKPOD20, to get 20% off of awesome clothes, supplements, all their products here to include their stacks. That's OKPOD20, another awesome stringer here for an additional discount at checkout. And I definitely want to hear about how you ended up landing that uh, that monthly show at the Lobo Theater. I mean, because I, I couldn't even imagine you know what, what it's like to see your head, like your name on a marquee it every It blew my month. mind that first that first month. It really blew my mind. Um, now, I don't, I don't want to say I'm used to it. It's still crazy. You know, we've only done, this is only going to be the third one. But when I see that name on there, it just, it shows me that all the hard work paid off. You know what I mean? From the open yeah. mics. And I still, I was, I've been at open mics still the last two nights. And I still do. Every time I could get up on stage, I still pretty much do. You know, if I wasn't here, I'd probably be at the dry heat open mic right now too. So, um, but that was really just, okay, that the power of manifestation, I believe is such a real thing, bro. Like just 
an insight. Like when I was a young kid, like I said, I was a big kid, bro. I, I remember being like teased. I was called Fat Zach in school. I I still remember going and like shopping in Walmart and you'd go like the under, like the, like you'd be in the underwear aisle and you see like the Calvin Klein thing. You see the dude like the six pack and I'd be like, fuck dude, I'm, I can, I can't look like that. I will never look like that. Right. And then I started really getting into the fitness and even like comedy, like was always a huge fan of stand up, but never something that I was like looked at for myself. And then little by little, like more and more got into looking at open mics and manifesting that. And then just. Like I said, you know, the five-year thing, like, okay, five years, that's when you got to get out of here. And then in April, um, right when I was working for, I've been in the cannabis industry forever before economy. That was the day job. And I told myself, I was like, okay, in April, rec was kicking off. I was in this job that I had been in for a few months and it was just not panning out to what it, you know, wasn't the best situation. And I was like, you know what? I, I should take that leap of faith and like really just and go all in. And I was going to put in my two weeks and then. Me and my boss actually had a conversation and we were on the same page. And he's like, dude, I don't know if this role's working out like we originally thought. And I was like, no, I totally agree. I said, don't even worry about it. Like, thanks for the opportunity. That was right at the beginning in April and I dipped out and then literally left from the day job. I got a call from one of my sponsors who's a Cripple Magazine. And then he's like, hey, I have a connection in the Lobo Theater who's looking to do stand-up comedy. And I was like, tell him I'm on my way. So I literally left from quitting my day job to driving to the Lobo Theater to setting up that first meeting. And and then from there it just everything kind of worked out. That is that is fucking beautiful. So that is crazy. Good for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's I felt like like that roast up until the gunshot. It really goes to show you that life can change in an instant. And I felt like I was manifest and everything was like going on a perfect pace. Like had a good had a good job, had a good place. The, you know, car that I liked that ran good, like all the things. And then that roast was just an amazing night. And then from the gunshot, I just went to go show you that everything could turn so quickly. And then like from that time, you know, now my landlord's giving me a bunch of shit. But since that's happened, because they basically just don't want, even though it was a random situation that happened to their tenant outside, they don't want that press on their property. It's kind of hard to raise your uh, tenant's rents when your neighbors are getting shot kind of oh, thing. Mm. So they're trying to like sweep it up under the rug. They've tried to evict me. Um, they try to raise my rent like 500 bucks a month. Jesus Christ. Like all these things to, that are just like, all right, dude, I get it. And honestly, I don't even really want to be right there anymore anyway. Like I'm right on central, dude. You well, know what, what, was their, what was their argument initially for why they're raising it so much? Inflation. But it's like $500 yeah, fuck off. a month inflation. Like I could see 100, I could see even 200 bucks. But, um, and then just last week, my car broke down and I was having like, I did, bro. Like, it's funny because you said that. Like a lot of people see on the thing, like, damn, your comedy's going good, and like, yeah, comedy's going good, but life sometimes could take a hit. And last yeah. week, I felt like I just had a recenter. I'm like, okay, cars broke down. Don't really have a spot right now. Like, I felt like it was like one of those things where like you know all the odds are kind of against you. But then I was like, you know what? The only way to look up is from here. Like my like once I had, like I think this shit made everything else seem so little. I'm like, it's all gonna work itself out. It's all going to work itself out. And so I've been looking for a place, looking for a car. Plus, my car already was, like, on the way out to – or a way out for a road comics car anyway, you know. Um, so now just, like, looking to recenter, dude, like looking for a new place, looking for a new car. And then comedy still just going better than ever. So um, as far as I'm in New Mexico, I'm going to try to rock that. But I'm really looking to get out of here to New York. Um, anywhere that's, like, the best opportunity. I'm going to be taking a big trips this fall and kind of see where I want to recenter. 
Well, that's awesome, man. Like your mindset is super important with no matter what you do. I, I really do believe that as well, but you have to like, and obviously you're doing that, but, and I tell this to as many people as I can, when this comes up, like you have to fucking work. You yeah. have to work hard because just believing in yourself and mm-hmm. having positive vibes and everything's oh, yeah. going to be no, okay. No, no, no. And then you sit on your ass and do nothing. Exactly. Like, like especially here in Albuquerque, no one is going to just give you what you want. Mm-hmm. You have to, because there's always someone, no matter what you want to get into, no matter what you're doing, there's always someone's going to be working a little bit harder. Exactly. And there's always someone that's right on your ass. Exactly. And not even if you want to do like a, like everyone's at their throat, like everyone is just so competitive. It's like, no, it's just a fact. It's a yeah. business. Yeah. Whether you were getting into comedy or I just had the, the Slums of Harvard on and they were talking about that same exact thing. It's like, we know the bands that are coming up right next to us. We mm-hmm. have to work that much harder. Exactly. And you know, and I think that pushes me too. I, I had such a skewed view of where I was in the, where I was in the comedy scene here. I always just kind of did my own thing. And that's just who I am. I was like such an underground hip hop head as a B-boy you kind of do wrap yourself in your own world and put your, like your goals and accomplishments. So I never really like, I would say pre pandemic, I was just like coming, doing my thing and dipping out and not really like networking with the rest of the scene as well. You know, I still was producing shows and still doing a lot, but I think I was just so focused that I was missing out on some of the little things. And then like post pandemic, I started being around the scene a little bit more just cause it was kind of like, um, it was like picking up the shattered pieces after like a war, you know, like how many comics were left, what rooms could we perform in, who's new, all those kind of things. And then I started real like once I started having comed- you know, conversations with the comedians. I mean, I always kind of knew what I did as amount of work compared to everyone else, and I tried not to compare myself. I just knew my goal was different. Like my goal was always to do something with this comedy, and like sooner than later. I didn't just want to like go to open mics and kick it and drink beers. That wasn't like the goal. And so it wasn't until Buddy told me, like, yo, people really look up to you or what you're doing, dog. Like, you notice that, you know, we have a lot of respect for you. And we have, um, you know, some admiration for your hustle and stuff. And it, it took hearing that to believe it because sometimes you get so in your head, you're like, damn, like, you just lock in on your own thing. And you're like, oh, it's not that people don't fuck with you. You're just so zoned in. And then it was when I realized that, like, okay, maybe I'm doing something that other people could look up to. I started like offering advice. I started help people out on how to get booked out of town, how to promote their shows. And it only, like a, a friend said, like a rising tide only raises all boats. So once I started thinking about that, like I could get better and also help the scene too. And then there was other people that, you know, Sarah Kennedy moved back from New York. A few other people were kind of really helping elevate the scene. And I feel like we've seen a lot of growth since the pandemic. That's so important too. that, like the idea that you're here and like, not only you're doing well for yourself, but you can also bring other people with you. Like it's, it's a feast. It's not a famine. Exactly. If you act like it's a famine, you're going to starve yourself and everyone around you with the potential to anyway. Yeah. And that's, that's really good. You're doing that, man. Um, and I remember just kind of on that subject of just the community and people around you, you were, yeah. you had mentioned a, a part on Buck's podcast. And it kind of stuck with me a bit. I was like, wow, that's actually like a really good point. You know, you, you've been doing very well in comedy up until the time the incident happened. Um, obviously, I mean, you had a roast dedicated to you. You're doing very well. People know your name. They respect you. You're mm-hmm. having people tell you that. Um, but then once you went public with what happened, I mean, even I saw it on your social media, like just the amount of engagement. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very new when it comes to like social media, learning how it works, how to utilize it on and so forth. But mm-hmm. 
I mean, even I know how important engagement can be. Yeah. And just seeing that explode, and you bring that up on the podcast, you're like, well, you know, there are a lot of people who just started reaching out and calling oh, and DMing yes. me, like people who never yeah. reached out in the beginning, never even wanted to talk to me. Now they're like, oh, if you need anything, I'm here. And that's like a very, I mean, that's a generic thing on social media when a tragedy yes. strikes, yes. Or someone passes away. Mm-hmm. But take that to a separate level when you're a comedian, you're in the community. Like I said, you're networking, you're talking to all these people. Mm-hmm. Did that like change the way you view things, the way you view connections where it's like, oh, what you think is because now because I'm the comedian that got shot. You want you want me on your podcast to talk about getting shot. You want to like you want to attach yourself to me in a way. The podcast is brought to you today by OrganicPriceBooks.com. I love comic books. That is absolutely no secret to any of my friends, family or listeners. And right here is just some of the comics that I have either bought or gotten sent to me by the fine folks over at Organic Price Books. As you can tell, they have a wide selection from DC, Independent, Marvel, and they have become the number one spot for everything omnibus, oversized hardcover, or just general collected editions. No matter what you want, they've got it. Go to their website and at checkout, use our promo code, just my name, Noah, N-O-A-H, to get additional discounts on top of what they already offer, which ranges anywhere from 30 to 50% off. OrganicPriceBooks.com, use my promo code, Noah, N-O-A-H, and start reading comics today. And you know what, it was just like an extra kick. Like, look, I've been cooking long enough to where it's like, I had already pretty much been getting booked on a lot of stuff, but it definitely felt the bump after for sure and it and it was more just like the curiosity of people that it's like oh what happened it's like not even are you okay it's just what happened and you're just like what what, what was going on like you know like it's like the albuquerque curiosity I, God, the situation's so fucked up it's the albuquerque curiosity and, and it's the way that like uh you know just like the way like you know the things that little jokes people would tell you when they don't realize you just went through something super traumatic like I remember I walked into a coffee shop. If you want to aim that like a little bit oh, towards yeah, yeah. your face. I remember I walked into a coffee shop like the next, you know, the week or so after I got out of the hospital and one of the baristas saw me and didn't even realize he he knew me. He's like, oh, Zach, good to see you, man. I was like, hey, thanks, bro. And then he 180'd it and said a shitty joke and he's like, oh, man, I guess your jokes are that bad that night, huh? Oh, get fucked. And I'm like, you know, coming from someone that's never even stepped on stage, bro, and I almost lost my life. So thanks for the shit joke, like the shitty ass joke and I'm. I've gotten, you know, a few things like that and stuff. So I think that's the biggest part is I really realize what's important, who's important. Um, it's really not like who hasn't came around, who never really followed through with the messages. I was more surprised at the people who did and the people who continue. And, of course, it was like the ones that I expected, like, you know, Josh and Steph, you know, have been there. You know, Buck has been there. And, and a lot of the closer comedians, like, you know, I've really gotten close to, you know, my buddy Tyler, like, came through like crazy, dude, and would – Help me walk my dogs like every day. My friend Carla, Jess Wood, the comedians came out. I mean, that first week I would take a, a walk. I mean, they would literally have to come walk me. That's how I couldn't even bend over to pick up my dog's shit. It was like, I can't even hold my big dog. Like, and she's not even a big dog. It's Australian Shepherd, but I didn't even have the energy like to hold her. And I would have like four comedians walk me out and stuff. And, but people from high school friends ran and, you know, like I said, just random people on Instagram, like. Anything you need, I'll be there. Or I can't, let me know when you're home so I could come see you. And I've 90% of those people, you know, never. 
And not that I expect them to and stuff like that. I think a lot of people say things in those moments to make themselves feel better. Exactly. No, That's exactly. Like, yeah. It's not, it's, it's obviously nothing. That situation is put on you as yeah. a responsibility. Yeah. But I mean, like, fuck, if they're the ones initiating it, mm-hmm. like, I mean, tragedy or not. If yeah. you say, hey, let's go do something and you don't do it, it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go fuck myself. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. But then, and then add the, you just want to make yourself feel better. You're like, oh, well, I reached out. I did the good thing. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. No, it's fucked. So that's interesting. And that's awesome that, like, again, the community came to help the you out. Been and great. and yeah. all these people that you named are these people that I see, like, tagging each other and sharing each other's stuff. And, like, the couple times that I've been to Red Door, like, I ran to you that one night at Red Door. Um, oh, yeah. yep. uh, the one that, uh, the open eye that Chuck runs. The, yeah, a couple of right. seasons ago. Yeah, and seeing all these people, they all run together. You guys all support each other. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... I mean, after sitting down for the first time with Buck um, back in, like, March, April-ish. Yeah. Like, seeing all... This is a community that I had no idea existed. And, you know, that's... It's funny, because like, that's how I met Buck, is, like, we were both in this area in our comedy where we were kind of islands. Like, Buck had been doing his thing for a couple years, but he was really... Did his own thing the way he still does it. And I was just getting going. I was maybe five months, five months in a comedy, not five years, which still ain't shit. And and uh, my mom actually forwarded me a Facebook post, and it was it was Buck's post, and it was like, "Is there any New Mexican comedians that want to open up for me at Nexus, whatever date?" I immediately messaged him. I came on his radio show, did the radio show. We you know had some crazy laughs and. You know, and ever since then, like, we'd worked more and more together, and we would put each other on, and, like, he and he told me, he's like, dude, you would do comedy, you did comedy with me when no one would do comedy with me. I performed in, with Buck in that room, bro, there wasn't a microphone, there wasn't a stage, it was the <laughs> wildest shit, it was like walking around a brewery, just, like, yelling your jokes out, you're like, <laughs> no, nah, Albuquerque's crazy, it's like, no, nah, South Valley, though, they're like, it's just like, <laughs> It was wild. So we've been doing stuff together. Same thing with Josh. You know, um, Josh was the first person, first comedian who ever pulled me aside and told me I was funny. Like my third open mic. Uh, I remember at Bozy Downtown, he pulled me aside and he's like, yo, dude, you're really funny, man. And and like third time ever doing comedy from another dude that's starting. And I was like, yo, I appreciate that. And ever since then, we rock together. We've done so much and then you know maverick who's you know the dude my boy he lives in okc so you never really see him he's gonna be at the lobo show this weekend so nice. if you're there sunday but maverick's from here originally he lives in okc now and same thing he was the first dude that ever talked to me in comedy and i was my second open mic ever i was sitting all alone i had my little notebook and my phone and he like maverick just super charismatic dude that's just like how he always is walking through and he's like hey man can i sit down with you and i was like yeah for sure and he's like, yo, dude, how long have you been doing comedy? And I was like, this is my second time ever. And he's like, oh, that's crazy. He's like, you seem like super into it, like real serious about it, though. And I was like, yeah, I just, I've always loved stand-up. Like, I really want to get into it. And he's like, that's cool, dude. Like, you want to get, uh, he's like, you want to get breakfast Saturday and we could, like, write some jokes and talk about comedy? And I was like, hell yeah, bro. It's, those three dudes, like I said, like Josh, Maverick, Buck, the, those dudes were the star of my comedy and still some of my closest friends. And then... There's some people that'll like come into your life, like Steph moved back and we just clicked. Like it was just like, oh, you have a grind that is similar to mine that I admire. You were are funny and I, I respect that and, and let's like work together. And uh it's kind of funny that now they call me Josh and Steph and Buck the core four, but it you gravitate to the who has a similar grind to you. And it's really hard in New Mexico comedy because we don't have like pros. We don't got like 
national touring headliners as far as like famous comics or anybody really do. There's, there's, there's no right. other mentors to us. Well, and it's tough too, I'd imagine, because there's nothing like, yes, we just got dry heat, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I loved going to that opening weekend. But there's nothing here like the L.A. Improv. Certainly yeah. nowhere, nothing close like the Comedy Store yeah. or um, the Laugh Factory or anything like that. So there's no real like big hub that would drive a major comedian to, like stop here yeah. while they're on like on their Southwest tour, whether they're going from like the middle of the country going back up to L.A. Exactly. So what you're saying is we don't have the clubs that provide us locals opportunities to open for these people. Exactly. So like my buddies in Phoenix, they work the clubs and my buddies in Denver – they're offered opening spots for headliners all the time. Oh, I'm sure. And like my buddy now opens for Brian Callen and AZ. Like he's his <laughs> opener. He like flies him out and stuff. And um, yeah, and so we don't really have those opportunities here. We did a little bit. When I first started, I actually was a host for a little bit at the Santa Ana Star Center. Um, so I did the stage. My first show ever was four shows with Steve-O. Oh, um, shit. That's funny. So that was like super. I was a huge Jackass fan growing up as a kid. So I was like. Well, I mean, guys our, our age who wasn't exact, a Jackass fan. Oh, my God. So that was like huge for me. I think I was only two two years in comedy at that point. So, um, yeah, that was big. And then I got a lot of like dope upcoming stuff. But that's when the pandemic happened. I was supposed to open for Santino, Andrew Santino. I was oh, supposed to open wow. for Brad Williams. Um, I had some. I was supposed to open for Bob Saget. That's another crazy one. Um but when I sh- actually, that was when be pre-pandemic. I'll tell that story real quick. I was supposed to open for Bob Saget, promoted the shit out of it. I had a bunch of friends and family coming. I was supposed to host all four of his shows at Santa Ana Star. I got there, and the management and everybody were like, "What are you doing here?" And I was like, "What do you mean? I'm supposed to work the weekend?" And they're like, "I don't think he wants a host." And I was like, "Well, I got like the email. I got itinerary. I got confirmed." And then like, well, let's go talk to him or let us go talk to him. I never even met Bob Saget, you know, RIP. But uh, he, and then they came back like, yeah, he just wants his feature to host it. Oh, dude, shit. I had my dad in the wearing my shirt. <laughs> oh, no. the, dude, I had people wearing my merch there. They're probably like, what the fuck is this guy? There was a shirt from some dude. Yeah. So that, you know, little things like that. But the star actually is going back. They actually haven't been doing comedy since then. Yeah. Um. The only time I've seen big acts come through is like the chemo at the convention center or the Kiva. Because the they just center. had Theo Vaughn come through. Exactly, and like, just he happened to reach out. He his opener. He has his opener to reach out to find a host, but they don't have any local comedians that like work for the convention center. Right. So, um, same thing. Like now, now New Mexico has gotten to a point where we don't have an area for big comedians come through and us to be able to open for them. Yeah, no, and I'd imagine that's why, like, a lot of you guys go around and you hit almost every mic that you can, do any kind of, and I, I thought about that, because I see, like, again, I see all you guys sharing everyone's stuff, promoting, helping each other mm-hmm. out, you know, pushing it around, which is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever find that, like, you're just coming up with so much material, you're uh, having to really, like, over, maybe not over-diversify, but, like, if you have so many tools in your toolbox, mm-hmm. right, you have to, like... You have to really stuff it because if you're doing all these mics in one week or in one month even, you don't want like the same jokes going to the same people and like going around like that. Does that ever be a challenge to you? You know what? I used to worry about performing the same jokes uh, a lot more previously. Now I don't stress it as much. I will look around the room. If also it's like a showcasing room, if it's an open mic, sometimes I'll run it back because you'll be different people. Unless it's like the bartender or something, you, you rarely have like the same group. 
at a Monday night or something. And honestly, we rarely have audiences at open mics. There's a few people. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> hey man, at least you're yeah, honest. Yeah, it's because like these people don't go, bro. You when have ever in your life you've been like, bro, let's go see open mic comedy tonight. I'll be honest. That's why we went to Red Door that night. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's I'll be real. But it's also a little different because you already kind of know yeah. some of us. Yeah. So like, you, well, because I just I, because I didn't know because I'm a, yeah. just like you, yeah. big fan of stand up. Yeah. I grew up on the shit, but like I just never knew it was around. Exactly. So like, yeah, I'm a little biased. But, exactly. But the average person, but the average person, but especially open mic comedy. Yeah. Like, let's go see this comedy open mic, bro. Like, yeah. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's people that were at the brewery or wherever the open mic is, and they're just like, it we call them ambush shows like they don't know there's going to be comedy but they happen to be there but i like that because i think it builds thick skin because if you could get those people to laugh and get really into it that's already another challenge than somebody that's like paying to see you and laugh like they're already there for that yeah so i feel like it's helped grow some more tools for that toolbox as you said um so now i try not to worry about it too much like right now i have like a new 15 minutes that i've got like from the last three months right um, I, you know, the, the material, some material about getting shot, some new stuff about my pops and some other little things in between that. But now even after doing that material here for three months, I like to take it and do it on the road. But even like here, I'm like, okay, I'll look at the room. I'm like, okay, have I, has this room seen me? Blah, blah, blah. Like I knew the roast last week. I wasn't afraid to run that set. Cause that was the first time I've been back to the roast since. And then even like I was there again, Friday at revel, right? Same room. But it was a whole different crowd. Interesting. Like I could just tell, like that crowd Wednesday looked kind of young, preppy, college-looking crowd. Friday was like hood, Sunday cruising, <laughs> Vato crowd. Like so, oh bro, like for sure there was like at least two of the suspects that were like on this on my suspect list were in there. Like I had to be a little careful. So and this is the thing. So. Being a Latino comic that doesn't look like a Latino comic, and I don't act all vato or like gangster, I always felt like that is the hardest people to get to appeal to me immediately. Because like I'm Hispanic, but I don't look like they're what they expect. I don't have the Dickies and the Nike Cortez, and I'm not like, hey, fuckers, with the, you know what I mean? Like, because that, that's what they fucking want, bro. Like, I go up there with me, I'm at my tight ass joggers on, I got, but. Over the years, I have found ways to connect with them. And a lot of it has been addressing the fact that I am different and they're like, than what they expect. And so right away Wednesday, I, or Wednesday I had a blast, but Friday I had a, I had a, dude, I felt like I was cooking. And then Thursday the night before was a totally, it was more of an older um, Hispanic audience, like our parents and grandparents age. Where was that at? And that was in Santa Fe at the Jean Cocteau Theater. Okay. And, you know, I did the gunshot material all the each night a little bit different each way um and and so yeah i'm trying to figure out how to use those same sets and connect to all these different audiences and and still i think when i go to, going back to worrying about new jokes at the open mic a lot of the thing an approach that i've taken for a long time that's really helped me out is when i do comedy now instead of just going up and right away telling jokes i'm like how long can i be in the moment before i have to dip into my material like yeah, I almost say like a, like a quarterback in the pocket. Like how long can I stay in the pocket before I have to dump out and like do, throw a joke that I know is going to work? And it, it's helped so much in my freestyling and my in the moment stuff. Like your crowd work. And I was just going to say my crowd work and stuff like that. Um, and I think it creates an atmosphere right away that like we're all in this and it's like this magical atmosphere. So if I right away start doing jokes and like creating jokes about you and I'm like, oh damn, look at this dude. He looks like he just got out of like – 
are you a sailor, bro, with all those tattoos and that flip in your hair, bro? You look like Popeye. <laughs> like, you do little jokes like that. And then you get people on your side. And then that way, when you go into your material, it still almost is like you're going off the top. Even though I'm like, no, these are actual jokes now. Interesting. And it, and instead of like, if you notice, I have this like, I, I always, my style too is like, I don't roast people. My buddy almost tells me, he's like, dude, when you are doing crowd work, it's like you're like flirting with the audience. Hmm. And, and I didn't notice that till he said it. But it is a way that I've like, it's like um, sweet then salty. So it's like sweet, 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 sweet. And then the misdirection is like the roast. But then they don't even see it because you've already been like kind of building them up and getting them on your side so much that by the time you hit them with the roast, they don't really feel like offended or you lose the room. Right. Right away. Because if you just go up in the room, you're like, this fucking guy with his tattoos, this asshole. Right. Like, bro, no one's like, you're not on my side. The room's not on my side. Do you see the immediate difference? That's a rough open, yeah. <laughs> so how long did it take you for like get that type of stage presence, man? Because like, first of all, anyone I, I I don't talk shit, even if like, because don't get me wrong, I love going to red red door oh, yeah. and like saying open. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, it's a cool yeah. atmosphere, cool place. And there were a couple bombs. I mean, yeah. it's an, like you said, it's an open mic. Shit right. happens, right? But I'm not gonna ever say, oh, those guys are fucking idiots. Those guys are pussies because oh, they're no, no, like no. they're stepping up there with a mic, but like. A big part of that, and I noticed that really going to those open mics, especially towards like the last like half hour of the evening, <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you've gone from maybe twenty five to thirty people to ten to fifteen, you know, it's oh, real yeah. dead. Mm-hmm. What like, how long did it take you to get that stage presence, that confidence, like right off the bat? Because if they go, when someone goes up there and they're really nervous, they're timid. It's you, like it's, it's like the audience is already they're waiting for you to bomb. Bro, it's blood in the water. The yeah. audience can smell your nervousness. It's like they fear. Can, they it's weird. Like if you're up there, and even if you're like kind of shaky and like not sure of yourself, the audience just knows, bro. They know when you're you're their guide. It's like going on a tour, like on a, like a dangerous hiking tour with a guide, and they don't have that confidence goes away. You don't feel confident anymore. Right, because oh, yeah. your your safety's in the hands of that person. So I always say, like, we're like their tour guide when we take them on this ride. So you got to get them to trust you that they're gonna have a good time. And and uh, yeah, those end spots are hard, man. I'll still go up if I go into a room. Like, what I'll immediately do is do like a. Ter- I always say like my little Terminator scan. You'll see me like, and I'm just looking for anything that I could immediately, like elephants in the room, something that I could immediately like pull a joke out of you know what i mean like i look for a couple just like a you know i'll look for like couples and i'll kind of start making a joke on what they look like if it's a real guy's guy i'll do maybe some jokes about them especially i already know that i'm not a guy's guy. like i always say that i'm boyfriend's least favorite comedian and so because <laughs> girls will be like he's funny huh and, be, and then the guys will be like nah fuck that dude <laughs> fuck that dude why do you why do you say that <laughs> it's just i think I think it's something about me that dudes, because I, because I look like you, your girlfriend might like me more than the jokes. <laughs> so that, that's just what it is. That's it. The girlfriend might like more than the jokes. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I may or may not be more talented than you, and I may or may not be more attractive. Yeah, it is what it is, bro. It's like I got here at six p.m., but my jawline showed up at five. Bro. It's like <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, so I, I well, Josh actually said it to me one time. Josh Fournier, my buddy, said it to me like this one time, and he's like, "Yo," because Josh is a lot more dirty on the nose, where I'm a lot more like flirty and kind of like punny. I don't want to say punny with it because I don't really like like the way that sounds, but um, where like my dirty stuff is, I don't know. I kind of like 
you see the way I shape it. It's not more right. I'm not like, oh, I'm fucking you. Like, like I kind of word it and have to be around it, be a little bit more clever. There's a lot more wordplay. With the, I just have to be a little bit more clever the way I deliver dirty comedy. And a little, like I said, I kind of more flirty with the audience than being like kind of more direct with it. Where Josh said it perfect to me one night. Josh was like, yo, dude, he's like, I could be talking and doing a joke and talking to a couple and I could be doing crowd work and talking, doing a joke about like fucking a guy's girlfriend and that dude will still be laughing. He's all, you go up and do that same joke. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> and I was like, no, I get, I get you. Because you're turning it into you. a possibility. I get, yeah, I was like, no, I get you. Dog. I get you. I get you, bro. So, um, yeah, so I just am a lot more silly with the way like I do my yeah. approach on dirty. I, and, and when you see my act, I really don't have too much dirty, like on-the-nose, raunchy. It's never really been my style. It's just never really been my style. Not that I don't have like um, sex jokes or tap into relationship stuff. Because I do have a lot of stuff about dating. Like a big chunk I do after the gunshot stuff is a chunk about dating and different dating experiences. But nothing really goes into like the dirty or like something ultra raunchy with it. And that's, I think that's just who I am. Yeah. Same thing like political. Like I'm not that political on stage. It's ne- It's not who I am off stage. So why would I be that guy on stage? I'm, right. You know, so. Well, because I mean. Just, God, even if I wasn't, like, even if you're not, like, a fan of comedy, just looking at everything that's going on right now, Joe Biden is a comedic punching bag right now. Yeah. Like, that whole, everything about our government has been for the last 20 years. Yeah, and everybody but, had Trump jokes before this, Exactly. Like, so, kind of on that subject, now that we're, I mean, it's July of 2022, so mm-hmm. let's say we're a year and a half out, a year out from like the real heavy lockdowns mm-hmm. we're experiencing. So like, do you ever, do you feel like the COVID jokes are kind of getting overplayed? They're kind of like, we get it. We got locked down. The COVID's bad. Da, 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 mass. Da, da, da. Like, do you feel like it's yes. getting a little overplayed? Yes. I feel like it all gets overplayed. I feel like, I feel like we hear so much of it throughout our daily life that sometimes when we go to comedy, when you go to a brewery with your buddies, you don't want to hear about that. You shit. go to get away from that stuff. Yeah. And you could see it. You could see the energy and the demeanor of a crowd change immediately when someone brings up, especially, and when they bring up ideals, like you could be, of course, we're a pretty liberal state. So you say something like, fuck Trump. Everybody's, you're just going to get an immediate applause break. It's like low hanging fruit. Yeah. But if you really like start to go into political material, you could feel the energy of the room just be like, oh, dude, like yeah. we were having fun up until now. So, um, and like I said, that's just never really been my standpoint. Like, um, and who I am in real life to talk about that stuff on stage. Um, so I, I don't really care for, I think there's some comedians that do it great. I'm not one of them. And I'm not trying to be like this daily show comedian. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of people, I feel like daily show got so much like blew up. Like John, I, I really do believe that. Um, well, John Stewart was in the pocket. He changed the way people did comedy. And I heard yeah. some of this talked about on a podcast the other day and it made sense because he made, he was so funny, but so smart and so well thought out that he made everybody else want to be like that. Yes. And then it became like this TED Talk comedy. And then you saw like, and I think Hannah Gadsby also really changed the way a lot of these alt comics thought what they should be doing. Like anytime you're like, if you have a platform, you should stand up for like all this stuff. Like as soon as you get to telling other comedians what they should be talking about, you're already doing wrong. Yes. You're already doing wrong. And so... When it comes to that, I, I'll let other people do that stuff. Um, I My goal, when people come out to see my show, my goal is I want to have a good time. I want them to go to have a good time. I want everybody leaving to have a good time. And even, like I said, when I like will even do crowd work, I won't like roast an audience member 
to the point where they feel like shit yeah. just to make everybody else feel like better. Yeah. Like I, I that's just not I don't really have that abrasive of a style. Well, I mean so. that's I mean and I've seen clips of that uh here and there like on Reddit and on yeah. YouTube. But that's and that's just like borderline bullying, man. Yeah. Um but you bring up the Daily Show and John Stewart is one of the greats. In oh my yeah, opinion. for He's, sure. And, and you're right. He kind of turned. He was the real pioneer, one of them anyway. Um, along with someone like George Carlin, where they kind of like they had very long po- form, long form, poignant things to say, mm-hmm. but you still laughed at it. But then now, when you look at the Daily Show, how it turned from John Stewart to Stephen Colbert, and now especially with Trevor Noah, it's they're just a different version of a talk show. Exactly. And they have a very political view. They're very much whispered in the ear, in my opinion, anyway, mm-hmm. by a certain political side. And they're just a, um, they're a, I don't know, they're an antenna for that. They're yeah. a big, like, um, I don't know a better way to say it, but like they're a giant like cell phone tower just radiating that signal. Mm-hmm. And then I remember last year, I think it was this time last year, Jon Stewart actually went on Stephen Colbert's show. And it was neat. It's like, oh, the yeah, previous yeah, yeah. host of The Daily Show. And seeing their styles of comedy was like polar opposite mm-hmm. because again, like Stephen Colbert is very political. He's very um, religious. Yeah, but he uh, he's got a point of view, whether or not it's genuinely his. Mm-hmm. It's his point of view that he needs you to hear. Yeah, exactly. Stephen Colbert, you know, he's like he's the uh, he's just he's like almost a talking head for the for the far left. Yeah, yeah. But then you look at uh, John Stewart doing his bit. And he's talking about he's just talking about things that you you could tell it's authentic. Yeah, that's my point. You could tell it's authentic. It's real. It's what he actually believes. Like he had this bit. I think about it at least once a week. It's fucking hilarious. They're talking about how, you know, in March to May of 2020, if you would have said that COVID came out of a lab, you were like blacklisted from Twitter. You were shadow banned on Instagram. Like mm-hmm. it went crazy. But now it's kind of accepted that like the lab for coronaviruses mm-hmm. <laughs> accidentally let the coronavirus slip out. And the way he equates that, he goes, he goes, man, if I were to tell you that there was an outbreak of chocolatey goodness in Hershey, Pennsylvania, would you be surprised that it came from the Hershey factory? And, <laughs> and the entire crowd yeah, like, yeah. fucking loses it. Yeah. And you could see like Stephen Colbert get fucking red because he knows he can't agree with it. Mm-hmm. He's not allowed to. Yeah. Um, do you feel like kind of on that subject, do you feel like comedy like getting censored do you think that's a problem like here anyway because we are really a hyper liberal state i'm actually really happy you brought that up and there's a real there's a fine line i walk in my act and the, even though like i say i don't get too political or i don't get too raunchy or i don't get i ride the line of what i think a comedian should do is ride the line of what's acceptable so all I mean, I mean, immediately open up a gunshot material. I don't know if that's acceptable. I, don't, I did that at the Roswell. They were like, "You got to do family friendly material." I opened with that. I'm like, "That's family friendly, right?" I guys- love that you went to Roswell, by the way, because I spent six years down at Nimi. Okay, and yes. I and I spent another year there working there. Yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah. shit, he's going down to Roswell." I got a little bit of love down there now. They're actually pretty cool to me down there. Good, down there good. I'm I got a man. show uh, in September. I'm. Uh, me, Josh, and Steph are all doing shows with Alex Raymundo. I don't think anybody's even talked leaked it but alex raymundo just picked up me josh and steph to do three nights in las cruces roswell and carlsbad just out of curiosity where in roswell at the liberty oh awesome have you have you have you been to liberty twice yeah i've actually i'll get into that i performed for jp sears there which is i never even knew who that was is like this hardcore right wing 
Republican YouTube comedian. Interesting. So I've heard the I've heard the name. I don't even check that like white. He's like long red ginger hair. All his clips are basically he's like somewhat like like mini buff dude, like micro. You know, it's like buff but not that big kind of guy. Like and and he's like super in himself, and he just all his shit is just hating on the left. Like oh, that's perfect. That's perfect for Roswell. Oh yo, perfect. And so I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Um, and bro, they were, bro, but this is the, the, going back to, you know, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to answer with this. So I opened up for this dude in Roswell, right? Sold out shows. This guy has millions of subscribers on YouTube, millions of subscribers on Facebook. I don't even know he was, like I said, I'm real centrist in my outlook on things. Yeah. And, uh, but they told me after they booked me, they're like, we just want to make sure you're asked, like. You can't really talk about like COVID and masks and like Fauci. And then I look up the dude's YouTube or his Instagram and the, on his bio, it says like freedom of speech, freedom. Of, and I'm like, the first thing you're trying to do is censor my act. And your whole shit is freedom of speech and free country and free this and that. Do you think he was like, cause obviously it's people speaking for him. Do you feel like that he was trying to protect his act? It was, but it's just such an oxymoron. Right. Oh, for sure. I'm not, I'm, like, I'm you not. Can't, yeah, Talk I'm, about this, but I'm the freedom of speech guy. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not justifying yeah, that. Yeah, that's yeah. fucking bullshit. Yeah, it's just such an oxymoron. So, But the thing is, I blew, like, the dude's not a stand-up. So you go up. I'm a stand-up from New Mexico. I never performed in Roswell. All my shit was brand new there. I cooked. And they wanted me to do 35 minutes, which is like, bro, you're you're giving me a lot of time to get comfortable up there. Right. And, and do I remember at like, at, like, 25 minutes, I started seeing them light me. Like, we're just waving the lights in the back for me to get off stage. But I knew where I was in my act. And I knew I had my, you know, all my things. So I knew I had more time and I was cooking. And just to get this dude a little taste, I, like, pushed it, bro. And, like, I remember I have this clip of I got, like, a 20-second applause break. <laughs> and I just, like, held it on stage. Yeah. And then got off. The, and, the, and then I was also, like, you got to solidify yourself with these bookers, too. Yeah. Like, that guy's only going to come back. Once a year, once every few years, but they right. might bring me back every few months. Because you're you're here, exactly. you're three hours north. Exactly. So I had a great sets with that. Like you said, it was ultra crazy to see the conservative side of New Mexico for me from Albuquerque and Santa Fe, which is super liberal. But I've done this before, but I've seen it before. Like I got a Durango, ultra liberal college oh. town. Yeah. Cortez, Colorado, thirty minutes next to it. I've seen dudes younger than us rocking boots on their spurs. <laughs> In a bar, bro. Like, they didn't even serve us. Like, if me and you walked in, they would even, like, show us love, bro. Right. Like, what the f- I yeah. Don't, yeah, it was like, so I've seen these crazy, how crazy conservative it could be in the small towns versus the city. So I was used to that. But then, yeah, so going back to the, that, yeah, that was great. I opened for Chris Catan and Roswell. Um, I have a lot of love for Roswell. But going back to the censoring comedians thing, I feel the tides are changing. I feel like we had so much intense censoring so much PR, so much years of what's okay, not okay to say. And they were still kind of there um, that I feel. And Tim Dillon is actually one of my comedians. I, I fuck with Dillon so heavy. And he said this on a podcast and it really brought a lot of like optimism to my future of yeah. what my comedy is. Because he's I think the future of comedy is going to be silly. He's like, it's been so serious, so political, like what we said with Oliver, with Colbert, with, um, with um, John Stewart. He's like, it's so political. It's so PC. He's all that. I feel like the pendulum's going to shift and it's going to go to like just silly. He's like young, silly comics are going to have their time. And then I saw the cats like Bobby Lee and then Trevor Wallace. He's blowing up right now. Trevor Wallace. You know, even D'Elia, one of his things was like the silliness of him up until his little thing with censorship and scandal, but which is 
getting over, you know, yeah. that as well. But, um, so once I see that and when I see on stage and, you know, I'm, I used to like be a little hesitant on being as silly as I am and as physical as I am. And, but that is who I really am. Like how I said, political is not, I am silly and physical and I've always kind of been kind of out there and weird. And when I'm real comfortable, that's who I am. And so when I do that on stage and the audience connects to it through also not just me being like wild, I'm not just up there doing crazy shit, but it's the storytelling. It's the being able to connect with your audience. I felt really optimistic that the censorship, the censorship side of comedy is going back to now where people just want to enjoy themselves. And I feel like that's even the younger crowd. Like I even feel these younger kids, like the youngest, like the new generation of college kids, like fuck it, say anything. Like fuck, oh yeah, say anything for sure. Where like the college kids before you get in trouble for saying oh anything wrong. Well, because that was at the height of like um, you know Ben Shapiro was going around and getting shut out. Um, Milo, fuck, I forgot his name. I forget too, his yeah. last name. Milo yeah. Yiannopoulos yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. He was going around getting shut down. Eric Weinstein had the huge um, blow up at his New York college. Who else was there um, too? That just was, just yeah. people like that. There were of very political, uh, yeah, just these very political people, whether they're right or left, and they have these huge shutdowns. But there, yeah, but a lot of people were listening to them though. So well, exactly, and that was the kind of like the stamp of like, okay, podcasting's here to stay. Like, you're not going to censor it. You're not going to really, like, it's like, the best way I've heard it put was by Lex Friedman. He said, yeah. it's pirate radio. And that's what it is. It's something that almost anyone can do if you have a cell phone. You can do it. Yep. And a cell phone and internet connection, you can get into it. You can do it. And then, I mean, if you just do it long enough, long enough, and you're good at it, people will listen eventually. Exactly. In theory. And then you're also able to get your own view out there. And people, like, with podcasting, I really believe that, you can tell whether you're being real or whether it's bullshit. Because mm -hmm. I mean, especially with the long form stuff, you listen to someone talk for over thirty minutes, an hour, hour and a half. You yeah. can only hold up the bullshit act for so long. I mean, why do you think those monologues on the late late night shows are only five minutes, ten exactly. minutes? Because they have a very doctored, a very um, like tailor made act that has a message behind it. You're attacking the one uh, political leader or political group. And you're only up there for a little bit, and you go on to your guests, mm -hmm. and you just completely project onto them. Podcasting, I mean, I haven't checked it out, but I heard um, from Buck, actually, that, like, Jimmy Fallon and, like, Jimmy Kimmel and all these, like, super political talk show hosts have their own podcast now. And even those are so produced that it's, like, it's hard, exactly. to, it's hard to call them podcasts because it's, like, it's no, there's nothing really authentic there. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's just strange. <clears throat> but I agree. I think, like, the future of comedy is going to be the more outlandish, silly, outside the box, you know, comedy. I mean, and then you look back as you were talking, I was kind of thinking back to, well, who are the, just in general, the greats of the stand-up, of stand-up comedy, right? Like mm -hmm. prior to uh, 2000s and the nineties, mm -hmm. it was Kennison, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, Richard Pryor, you know, all these people that for their time, they were so outlandish and they were so exactly. crazy and yelling. I mean, Jim Carrey was literally throwing himself yeah. across the stage, and it's, flipping and, it's, and flopping. And he and definitely wasn't people's like cup of tea, but it's when people would ever ask me, what's your number one comedy inspiration? I have to say Jim Carrey. No shit. And not only stand-up wise, but just as a comedic wise, because when I was a kid, something about me just gravitated to his crazy physicality and quirkiness and crazy faces and characters. It's hard not to. It was just so appealing to me. I went and, um, where other people would even say that his style could get a bit obnoxious at times. I really enjoyed the creativity and the ability to like 
commit to the bit like Harry could. And of course he found his niche more being a comedic actor. Um, and, but yeah, easily wouldn't like, I, when I would see that dude as a kid, like something about me, I'm just like, wanted to be Ace Ventura. You wanted to be <laughs> in the mask. You wanted yeah. to be liar, liar, like, and all these roles where he never really paid like the dopest role. Like liar, liar was a washed up dad. Like the mask was a washed up like bank dude. You know what I mean? And, and then, you know, Ace Ventura is like, so almost like fictional, you know, yeah. it's like, it's a comic book. Crazy, life. crazy pet detective. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I really gravitated to a lot of his stuff. And I think that maybe that's what a big thing is with him is he played all these normal roles, but his character was so extreme and intense. Yeah. That, um, yeah, yeah, kind of looking a bit a little deeper. Well, did you ever uh, watch his, he had a show on, fuck, it was like Stars or Showtime for two seasons. Mm. And it's called, um, yeah, it's called Kidding or uh, it's something, I think it's called Kidding. And he plays basically a very dark version of Mr. Rogers. Oh yeah, no, I've never seen that. That's Fantastic crazy. That show. Crazy. Yeah, so he's on like on TV. He's this happy, very like well thought, well spoken Mr. Rogers character, mm-hmm. very warm, welcoming. I mean, you leave your kids with yeah, him, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but then off camera, his life is just awful like it's it starts out with his wife divorcing him Mm -hmm. well cheating on him divorcing him and then he starts going down a spiral mentally and he ends up um i I think it's like the second episode he ends up buying a home right next Mm -hmm. to his ex-wife not knowing that his ex-wife moved in right there with uh with her boyfriend or something so like that episode ends with him like he's doing the dishes it's a very like 1950 style home right so it's got like the the sink the window the curtains you know and he's doing the dishes and he knows that his wife lives there like Mm -hmm. that's why he moved like literally neighbors and so he's doing the dishes and he looks over and his wife is fucking the new boyfriend of course and that's just how it ends it's a great show though yeah yeah it is it's really really well made really well done i need to finish it i'm like halfway through season two i have to check it out for sure it's and it's just the biggest thing that i think when i go back to like what makes you a professional comedian. It's, it's not necessarily a specific amount of hours. It is, you know what I mean? It's, it's amount of checking certain, like paying your dues in a certain ways. But I think a biggest part of being a professional comedian is having life hit you and you still get, I've had, I've literally had family members pass away when I'm waiting in the wings to go on stage. I've had the, the, you know, girlfriends break up with me and, you know, just the worst. New- and, you know, even Thursday, it's like I had a show in Santa Fe, engine blew on my car. I'm already looking for a new place and I got to go and light up this room. You know what I mean? And like, that's the last, bro. Like, bro, I thought, I thought my AC was going out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought my AC was going out. Fucking my engine threw a rod, bro. And I'm like, on my way to Santa Fe, having this little, my little mental breakdown of like, fuck, I don't got a place. I don't got a car. I literally was like, in my head, I'm like, all that's going good is comedy at this point. And my health, you know what I mean? Thank, yeah. thank God that everything's there. And um, I'm like, man, like, it only is going up from here. Like, grind, too. I'm not like, oh, it's just going to work out. Like, it's like, okay, find find a spot. You got to get another job again. You got to hustle again. You got to push your merch twice as hard. You got to do whatever you got to do to get into position where you're comfortable for comedy again. And... Up there, I was driving. Oh, dude, I was so bummed out. Like, I was stewed, bro. And to get to that theater and you have to be like, yo, guy, boom. 
And then to light up, that's what makes you a professional. There's so many people that could have been like, dude, car. I still made it. I borrowed my mom's car, drove to Santa Fe. Yeah. I, I don't know many comedians that would have been like backed out of that show. Like, dude, sorry, my car like broke down, blah, blah, blah. And like, no, that's no, bro. Your job's to be there. Like, you know what I mean? And fuck your feelings and this, all that stuff. A professional comedian is doing what they need to do to perform for that 30 minutes to that hour. And then, you know, life will get back to you. So like, where, where do you get that mindset from? Because being able to like really center like that focus, like, no, there are no excuses. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. And then I'm going to show up and kill. I'm going to show up and be funny mm-hmm. right after a horrible thing just happened. Like, do you feel like, like your, your, uh, your weight training? Do you feel like there's anything like outside of your Ooh. comedy that really there, like, there's adds a few, to that? There's a few things though. The discipline from weight training, bro, is helped out in every area in life. And I'm sure that's something you could attest to. Yeah. The discipline you get, like I, I, saw, I looked at your profile a little bit. I saw that you've done a competition. Congratulations on even stepping on stage at something. There's a lot of people that could pick up a weight and do a, you know, do some curls, but not everybody's going to step on stage like that. So congrats. But the discipline that weightlifting has taught me has brought everything from my break, like when I was real more serious into b-boying to when I started comedy. I looked at comedy like weightlifting or like a professional sport. I was like, if if pro athletes or pro bodybuilders are in the gym every day to practice to even like, we'll say bodybuilders because they get on stage the elite less than athletes perform, right? Yeah. Bodybuilders, you may be doing three, maybe four competitions a year. Oh, that's like at the top end. And that's if you're going, That's like if you're insane too. And, and so let's say maybe one or two. Yeah. On average, but you're in the gym every day. Yep. And your diet's still pretty immaculate up until that 16 weeks before, then it's super immaculate. Yeah. And so if bodybuilders train every single day to get on stage twice a year, why should I not be practicing and getting on stage every day if I'm getting on stage for shows multiple times a week? Like, that's how I look at it. Like, I should be practicing every day. There's no reason. And then a, and then a quote from Jerry Seinfeld sticks in my head. Like, there's a few comedians' quotes. The Ron Funches quote of, like, sticking in the pocket. Um, but this Jerry Seinfeld quote said, sticks in my head always. Three days of being off stage... He could tell. He's like, with three days of being off stage, I could tell the difference. With four days of being off stage, the audience could tell the difference. Oh, shit. Now, this is Seinfeld. He was super hardcore. He's like a right eight hours a day kind of guy. But I also get it. Like, if it's been two days and I haven't been on stage, I'm fiending for an open mic or something just to, like, get the reps in, just to get the, have a mic in my hand and get some laughs. So um, I really think the... I think it's so important to perform often for many reasons. Every comedian's different, but I just like the gym and, and training, just like you should be at the gym every day. I think you should be on the mic every day too because being sharp, like the ability to stay sharp and quick is it could be lost so easily. Well, it's a perishable skill. Easy. And I mean, I I found that in doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like god, I look back. Me and Herbert having this conversation a couple nights ago. I look back at the older episodes I'm like, "Oh my god." That was it's dude. Bad. How many times did you like check the clock? You're like, where, where, how much time are we? At? <laughs> well, it wasn't even checking the clock. It was just like letting conversations go nowhere. Yeah, filling conversations with bullshit, and it was just not being just a good conversationalist in yeah. general, right? But then, also, where there were periods where like I did ten episodes, I took a two month break, and then getting back into it, it was so rusty and just like mm-hmm. like grindy and like you just it, the the um the fluidity wasn't there exactly right. And, and you're right. I mean, someone like Seinfeld, he did write for eight hours a day. He did all these mics, but then he also turned out to be Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. 
And I mean, uh, one of my personally, one of my favorite comedians is or comedians are people like Rogan and Mm -hmm. Bill Burr and Joey Diaz with these people where they go and doing mics and being putting themselves out there when they were coming up. That was what that was their routine. Mm -hmm. They shit, shower, shaved Mike. Yeah. Like it was just a part of their life, exactly like you're describing. So yeah, like to some people, like I'm uh, one of my friends recently. She reached out to me because she's trying to get back into the gym. So I was like, yeah, I'll help you out. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll set you up like a very like remedial workout plan. Like this is what you should be doing. If you need anything, mm-hmm. let me know. And uh, we were having this conversation where she was like, I just don't want to like become like I she, I, was like, I want. It, it, I'm sure you've heard this too. It's like okay. I want all these drastic changes, but I don't want to be obsessed. It's like, well, you kind of have to be. And and one way that I I frame this for not just her, but for people whenever they want to talk about this, especially in today's, like America, in today's age, you know, going to the gym every Mm -hmm. day, eating regularly and eating healthy, that's not normal anymore. Mm -mm. Taking care of yourself is not normal. So whenever you're like, yeah, I could go out and do this or I could sleep in or I, you know, whatever the alternative is for the American lifestyle, and choosing to not do that and either eat healthier or go to the gym, like you're gonna get ridiculed by that. Oh yeah, right. People yes. are going to ridicule, ridicule you. People are gonna say like, "That's so weird. Why are you doing that?" My my pops told me a long time ago. Like I said, because you know he was a bodybuilder, competed back in the '80s and early '90s and, and stuff. And did he train at Liberty? He was Santa Fe bodybuilder. Oh, so okay. Mandrells. Oh no shit. Dude. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. But you know he did train up here. Did go to Liberty. Went to old school Golds. Yeah. He, he's a little bit. Yeah. He's that, yeah. that era. And uh, I remember one time he told me when I was really getting into it, and he's like, because you know how it is, bro. Like, f- you, your friends give you, because you can't do anything. You can't go out to eat with buddies. You can't have a beer. You got to take your chicken and rice and your fucking water and your protein shake. And you get so much shit from your friends, and you seem like such a hard ass or such a, like a, you know, like you're so stiff. And um, and I and I felt like that for years. And But you got to get to the point where that slides off. And my, like I said, my pops told me one time, he's like, bro, you're the freak. He's like, we're the freaks. He's like, you're the one who has to go to the gym every day and eat six times a day and have this much protein. He's like, that's freaky. That's a freak. We're freak shows. He's like, we're the freak. He's also, we're not normal. So he's all, he's also, we got to get the idea out of the, like our head that like other people are looking at, or like, we're looking at them like, oh, like how do you eat out every day? Like, how do you eat fast food for lunch every day? Well, well, I look at like that. Especially ever since competing, but like, fuck, man. Like, I just, I know how my body feels yeah. when I'm eating right, I'm eating well, I'm sleeping regularly, I'm doing all these things that my body needs. I know how I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, today's one of my cheat days. Oh, yeah. So when we're done here, me and my chick, we're going to get a hamburger. I'm very much looking forward to that. You know what I'm not looking forward to? Tomorrow morning at 5.30, I'm shitting my brains out. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I'm not, yeah. but it's just one of those things where, especially like when I was in prep, and I've talked I've talked about this with people that have competed as well and they don't they don't understand like they didn't get why I felt this way, but like I did not really enjoy being on stage. I can see that. I just wasn't like so much out of you mentally. But I just loved prepping that. Yeah, such- even down to like where I was eating a thousand calories a day. Like that sucked. Mm. But like that sucked. I'm gonna at the very end of it sucked. In the beginning, getting into it, but like yeah, the pocket yeah. right in the middle where I was like, when wasn't eating there, too much, exactly. was eating yes, too little, a little bit of a, a, a. I know how my body felt, yeah, and it was good. It's so different to see your body in so many different ways because I've gotten fairly lean to the point where it was like almost prep mode too with my coach a couple times, and the look is just dope. Like when you send your pro, like it, it looks so dope to be like, cause like I said, I grew up a big kid, never had abs to see myself cut like that. 
it was a different look, but I was definitely not putting up the same weight in the gym. Oh, not yeah. that I cared. Not that I really no, cared. Yeah. But wasn't putting up. You don't have the same. Well, it affects, ener- it does affect you. Don't have you. the same energy yeah. level throughout the day and stuff like that. Just little things like that. And then as a like, especially out of getting out of the hospital, I felt so frail and so faint. Like yeah. it took me three months to put some weight back on, and then and now like I think I got out of the hospital and I was only. I usually sit right in the mid 160s. That's where I like I like to be. I'm usually pretty lean. I'm not like overly cut, but I'm not like I like that's like that 165. I'm usually pretty that's a good like I like That's where you walk around as where you're comfortable. I say I'd probably walk around more at like 175. Okay. So like 165 is already on the leaner side. Okay, I see. 160 is like real lean for me. Yeah. Um and then when I got out of the hospital I was like right at 165, but I felt so frail with the, all the changes in my body and the surgery. And then um, just recently I've gotten up to 179, right about 180. And I told my coach, I was like, all right, let's cut a little bit just to see where we're at. Just to, cause it, I just wanted to put some size, like a little bit and not feel like a freaking <laughs> yeah. frail dude walking around. Yeah, dude, I get and, you. Well, and then, and this actually just came to mind and I've, I feel like this is slightly accurate. So yeah. you go, your body goes through a very traumatic event and your recovery process, it had to have been enhanced or at least protected ex- extremely well. Like because of your so like your prior training and your prior like conditioning of your body. And the best way I've ever that put, funny enough, was with a comedian. Because mm-hmm. out of nowhere, when did that out of nowhere? He started hanging out with The Rock so much. But Kevin yeah. Hart out of nowhere got jacked. Just yeah. absolutely swole out of his mind like a year after hanging out with The Rock. Yep, yep. And I remember he went on Rogan about eight months to a year after his big car accident. Oh, yeah. Or he should have been paralyzed. Gosh, I wish I would have. And it, well, that was another podcast. So I wish Rogan would have directed it a little more because it was so much of Kevin Hart just spouting off all these like admirals. Joe, you know, life is just, you got to make it what you got to make it, Joe. And it's like, yo, people are going to be there. But and, like, it was like, no, I wanted to hear stories and real shit. But like, what's like, good yeah, though yeah. is one, one. He was very inspirational. Yeah, because one thing, one thing that he said is he yeah. was like, you know, people would ask, why am I training? Why am I eating so well? Mm-hmm. Why am I going to the gym so much? You're rich. Do what you want. You're rich. You don't have to be in shape. You don't have to whatever. It's like, no, I'm training. Yes, it makes me feel good, but I'm training for life. You never know what's going to happen. And then he gets in a car accident where he should have been paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And he makes it out of the hospital and he's, I mean, he's fine. And that's, and that's just crazy to me. It's huge. I had so many, not only nurses and doctors tell me that, but also friends be like, you know, you, that shit saved your life, bro. Like, you know, if I was a bigger dude, that bullet would have stuck in me and bounced around. Oh, facts, actually. If I was a bigger dude, that bullet would have stuck in me, bounced around, done some more, hit some other shit, who knows. If I was a more frail dude, maybe my body, like, bro, when I got shot, I didn't even fall down. I I remember hearing about that in your story. Like, not a lot of people know that. Like, they think, like, I got shot in the alley, and they, I literally, like, looked down and, like, knew, I fucking could see the hole in me. Like, I knew, dude. Right. And I just looked at my friend, I was like, we gotta go to the hospital right now. And, like, and... So many people are like, you know, that if you weren't in that shape, like you could have not re- in the recovery too. They're like, you ain't been on, out of the hospital in four days or on your feet or like, there were so many things that got me going. I remember like second day in the hospital, I hadn't used the, I don't, oh, I had went like a full day without taking a piss Oh, fuck. in the hospital. Oh, bro. I mean, I was so, everything was fucking, I barely you barely move. Right. Yeah. I was like so out of it, dude, from the surgery and the medication and just everything. And uh, I remember the nurse or the doctor being like, all right, well. I'm just going to check the cameras. No, you're good. Keep going. They're like, you're all right. All right. But, uh, you know, if you can't pee, we're going to have to put a catheter in you. 
bro, I immediately was like wiggling to get out of that hospital bed. I was like, no, I could get out of here. I could get out of here. And same thing. It took me a while to, uh, it took me a while to take a shit in the hospital. I know it sounds weird, but like with the surgery and everything, especially cutting my stomach open, it slowed it down. But they told me like, once you start having bowel movements, you could go home. Oh dude, I was like trying to go to the restroom. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's all I needed to hear. So God, that's one of my cutoffs in life, man. If I get too old, I've told my friends this, I've told her this, if I get too old and I need to walk around with a catheter, kill me. I know. That's dude. it. Nothing's going up my dick. Yeah. Kill me. I, I, that was just like such a fucking, it just, for as everything was already horrible in that situation. I was like, nah, like you can't. Yeah. I was like, I ain't going to be stuck up here fucking peeing in a <laughs> tube and shitting in a bag. I'm just so blessed that I got shot. Like shit went all the way through me and I'm. I and mean, I've said this on stage and I say it here, but the fact that I'm not in a, I'm not dead, first of all, I'm not in a wheelchair, I'm not shitting out of a bag, everything works. Yeah. Like the worst shit is just residual like tightness and residual pain at this point and still letting everything, like I don't know if the camera can see it, but it's like, damn. Still a lot of inflammation, bro. Right. Like it feels like fucking hard when you touch it still. And it's been three months, but this shit's just so, like it feels so fresh. Like, it still feels, like, tingly when I touch it. Right. It's And so that's where I got shot. And then it came out on my back, on the on the lower end of my back. Let's see if I can probably get it on camera. Fuck. Oh, there's all the goodies out the bag. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, that's been crazy. But the healing, uh, uh, the tr- being in shape, going into it, and then working out religiously since then. Like, I don't miss a day. Yeah. I, you know, immediately my dad was pissed because I was like, they were like, don't lift more than fives. I was like, that day I was curling five pound dumbbells, bro. I was doing sets like 50, but I was fucking in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then I started going more and more. And my dad used to be pissed because I'd get like the 20s. And he's like, you know, you're not. And I was like, no, but I could, I could do it. I was like, I could do it. Yeah. I was like, you know, and I would tell him, I was like, five, you got to remember five pounds for the average person isn't five pounds like for what I, the shape I was at at the time. Yeah. So, but I've taken it really easy. I'm still not doing squats, weighted squats. Right. I'm still not doing uh, like conventional deadlifts just because with the abdominal Oh, squat, yeah. No, 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 no. Fuck that. It, uh, it'll still take a few more months for my abdominal muscles to fully fuse and heal back together. Right. And, and the biggest thing is just not causing any hernias in the meantime. Yeah. So if I go heavy, it's real susceptible. I mean, this is already the area you get them. The last thing I want to do is go back under the knife to fix a hernia from pushing it too hard. Well, and that's one of the things that people, because I'll get asked, like, because again, when I got shredded, mm-hmm. people were like, how the fuck did you get abs? I'm like, yeah, I ate, I was in a deficit and I did a lot of cardio, but like one of the best ways to build your core is doing heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, heavy lunges, because all of those stabilizers exist in so your core. So I was gonna say, like, so like feeling that whenever, like, in your recovery, how mm-hmm. like you had to be super, super conscious of that. I'd imagine. Oh, so much, and I still very much am in the way, especially like say I'm doing like yesterday I was doing chest, and you know I have the dumbbells, and I'm getting like the way you get up, right? It's like how do I? Mm. So I now I'll you know I'll make sure to get the, my all, all the way to the top of the dumbbells, and I'll use like the momentum of them to kind of like bring me up, wow. instead of like sitting up, or I'll drop them. Right and, and like go to the side. My doctor just told me I could now go into real light abdominal um, exercises. Right. So I'm gonna start incorporating some like like leg lifts and stuff like that. He's like, now you could start. Fuck. Yeah. So it's just like I said, finding that line in training is real, and like the tightness is, bro. But like, I've had a bad low back for a while. I've had a tear and a, a low disc in my back for like seven years already that I've always like worked around. 
but like the tightness in my body of it, like recovering and protecting everything has been crazy. So now trying to get back into yoga, try to get back into some mo- mobility training because yeah. the strength stuff's going to be there. I feel it coming back, but without the mobility, that shit's garbage. You know, late, like they say, a tight muscle is a weak muscle. Yeah, no, because just you literally like your mobility has gone. You can't move. Yeah. You can't. I can feel it like in my shoulder blade on this left side, especially in this neck area, like all these areas that have gotten so tight over the last few months of sleeping weird and trying to protect this and stuff like so that. So are you going in for like MRIs or x-rays? I had a follow or? up not too long ago. Um, yeah. If they, it, they just did a little, it's kind of weird, weird, bro. Like the follow-ups have been so little, like even when I went in for the staples and to get them removed, he's like, you're good. You don't have to come back to us at all. Make an appointment with a primary care physician for a follow-up. So I did that and I got to the doctor and they're like, why are you here? I was like, oh, I got shot three months ago. They're like, really? I was like, yeah, they didn't tell you that. So I had to like tell them I was there. And basically they just did a few tests and they just looked at the scar and made sure everything was healing up good. Um, I told him I was concerned with hernias. He did, you know, some rubbing around the scar, said everything looked good. So uh, didn't have to do any ultrasounds, no x-rays or nothing like that. But if something ever changes, yeah, that will be like the protocol. Jesus Christ. Because a part of me, I'm hearing you say that, like, oh, they're just modern medicine's that good. They, uh, they know their shit. But then on the other hand, like, they didn't know you were there they because you know, got shot. Dude. Like, oh, fuck. I and I, and it's funny because at the hospital they see the shit a lot, but they sent me to like a family practice, like, like a private practice. Okay. And I asked the dude, and I was like, you see this a lot? And he's like, no, I've, I don't have ever seen one gunshot victim before in Albuquerque. And I'm like, what the fuck am I here then? Like, <laughs> are you number two? Yeah. It's <laughs> like I need the dude that they. <laughs> I need the dude that works for the Fast and Furious family. Like, I need the guy that sees us every weekend, bro. It's like getting a tattoo artist from somebody's never gotten a tattoo. Yeah. But Jesus. I did talk to a, a, my buddy actually from college does physical therapy now, and that's who I'm going to sign up with because my insurance could cover it with, through him. And uh, he's like, dude, I've actually seen a lot of gunshots. Actually, I've seen a lot of gunshot victims. Yeah. Um, especially when he was doing PT for the hospital. He's like, your shit's healing up good. He's all but he's like, let's uh, let's get the one thing that he told me is kind of weird that, you know, we'll kind of end on, on this on is uh, the scar feels so weird. And when you rub it like you could when you touch it, you could feel the density of the scar tissue. But what he told me is like the scars like an ice or he's like the scars like a. Yeah, like an iceberg. He's all, you only see like what you see on right, top. Right, 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 He's right. all, but the scar tissue under is so much more. So yeah. he's like, you got to massage. Because I was actually so afraid to touch it for a while. He's all, you got to massage the scar every day. He's all, to gain the mobility back in your core. He's all, those muscles are just going to stay tight. Like everything. He's all, you got to massage that scar tissue. So out. is that like a by hand thing or do you have yeah. one of those guns? Oh, you know, the gun would probably work too, but it's a more by hand thing because he's like, He's like, you know, he like, bro, he was pushing hard too. I was like a little nervous. And he's right. like, do you see, he's like, you see how I could go like easy if I push up, but if I try to push down, it's, he's like, that's where you want to go. He's like like, the, against the grain. Yeah. He's like, what he's all, wherever's fighting you is where you want to like ease up more on. So yeah, like, so you'll see people will see me. I think people see me like rubbing my stomach in the scar. It looks like I have like bubble guts or in the gym. I'll be like rubbing my stomach and it's like, oh, dude, this guy's a bad, this guy's got to take a shit or something. And I'm just like rubbing out the scar a little bit in between sets. And yeah, it's been a mess. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's, it's the weird, you know what, dude, it's the, I think this will close on, on this. What it does to the mental has been crazier than the physical. Yeah. The depression, the anxiety that I've, cause it's something I've already dealt with before. But the depression and anxiety that I've dealt and some of the darker thoughts that I've had since then has been so heavy and it's been so hard to even talk about because 
people are like, oh, bro, you have a second chance at life. Like, why would you even be depressed? And like, you think just because I got shot and survived it, that depression just goes away forever. That anxiety just goes away forever. That like dark thoughts just go away. Like that, that shit doesn't go away. You know what I mean? So dealing with that has been real, real heavy. And, and just like what it does to you. Like sometimes I'm real positive throughout the day. And, it, and it's kind of hard because you're never going to see that side of me on Instagram story. If you think you know me from Instagram story, you don't. Right. Because, no, for sure. You know, I'm not that guy that's going to get out there and cry and be like, this. And it's not that I'm not trying to be transparent. It's not that I'm trying to only show one way. It's like for my comedy, I want my comedy to be yeah. a, my comedy. I, you know, if, if it was a personal page, maybe it'd be different. But yeah, it's a, I have a hard time talking about the mental aspect of what it does to you. And you go through so much stages of grief and so much resentment and anger and towards yourself, not even, or the world. And, and just so, and yeah. So the mental part has been definitely tough. And um, I think getting through that is going to be the biggest thing in like moving forward and healing up. Well, you've, you've had such a incredibly unique experience. For as violent as Albuquerque is, you still... Like, everyone's life is obviously unique, but, like, what you are experiencing, what you have experienced is so unique. And for anyone to be able to, like, accurately comment on that is foolish. Mm -hmm. It's very foolish. Yeah. I mean, come the fuck on. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's absolutely insane to me that anyone could think that they have the opportunity to say something, um, like, to not not necessarily criticize, but to, like, to try and legitimately comment on that is Mm -hmm. absolutely insane. And I think that's, you know, whenever you do feel comfortable, if you ever feel comfortable, because I mean, people like, especially in the day of social media, and I fall victim to this, where everyone, like, you you almost feel like, oh, I have to be, especially today where, like, the media is so crazy. It's like, oh, I have to be so transparent, and I have to tell everything. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Tell what you're comfortable telling. Like, I'm very, like, I... uh, I kind of go into detail like here and there on this podcast about like my mental health stuff mm-hmm. and this, that, and the other. But it's not something I get too crazy into. I'll definitely talk all day long about being on TRT. Yeah. I think that's something, that's something people really need to do. Like yep. remove that stigma away I'm from. On, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm in my mid-30s. Um, you know, I'm going to be 33 this year. It's something I'm not opposed to at all. I mean, a supplement, steroids, I'm sure it's something you guys talked about on the, stero- on the podcast before. But it has such a fucking such a skewed, such a stereotypical view. There's so many people that do it wrong. The people that do it right, you never hear of. I mean, anybody listening in the gym, you'd be surprised on how many fucking people are on gear in the gym. It's guys, girls, kids, dogs, grandmas, tacos. <laughs> Everyone's on fucking gear. Everyone's juiced up to the fucking gills. Well, and that's what's scary. Like, especially because I've been seeing a lot of these things. Because I recently deleted TikTok again. But I, what I was seeing when I was on there was a bunch of kids. Like, like kids. Like, 16, 17, 18, going all the way up to like 25, my age. But these mm. guys are very young. And they're starting their cycles blasting trend. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck are you yeah. doing? Trend on top of testosterone on top of Ecopoise, on top of anavar on top right and and then that's just the fucking not even the store-bought shit they're taking too but like yeah it's 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 a mess bro that's i think there's an easy there's nobody there's a few outlets now that podcasts are more abundant there's more bodybuilders there's a few people that talk about it very openly and honestly and i and i appreciate that but this is the thing what people realize too with like no matter, I'm going to tell you, if the average fucking guy and girl listening, no matter how much fucking steroids you take, you're never going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You no, never are. Because they are they are genetically never, predisposed to be that great. You never are. And also, 
Because it's also the work ethic. You don't have the genetics. Yes. You don't have the work ethic. You don't have the food. You don't have the team. You're never going to look like these modern day bodybuilders. So don't even worry about that. Or don't even aspire for that. Because putting on 40 pounds of lean muscle in a year with all these gear, it's it's so unhealthy. It's so unrealistic. Yes. And as soon as you get off that shit, you're going to lose so much of that. And your body's going to yeah. be just cringing for anything, any yeah. nutrition, any fucking thing it could like. Yeah, there's such a right way to do it and there's a wrong way. Well, because um, it's a lifestyle commitment that mm-hmm. people like, because that's why I'll never like blast that stuff. Because I'm not like, I don't think I'll ever be ready to commit to a lifestyle where it's like I'm pinning myself every other day with a new compound. Mm-hmm. I'm eating all this food. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love watching these vlogs from like Chris Bumstead, right? Where yeah. he's eating like five to 6,000 calories for the prepping for the Olympia bulk before he goes into his. I love watching mm-hmm. that because he's such, again, he's in the 1% of genetic freaks. Yeah. That when he does enhance himself, he looks like That's, a god. You know, it's just but so, not everyone's going to end up like that. It's so crazy. I have a I have a cousin who just with the power of genetics and people. Some people are just really gifted. Yeah, and um, and strength can really be genius at the same time. But like my my cousin, dude, he was this short kind of Hispanic dude, probably like five 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 six. Was a great basketball player growing up. But of course, being a short dude, you could only be good when, when you're like a kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> so as soon as he was like in high school, he kind of like. He got into bodybuilding and he put on the craziest lean physique. Like I used to tell my cousin all the time, like bro, compete. Like you look so, you look better than dudes on prep. You look, I've, I've never, and the dude, I know the dude wasn't on gear. I just know the guy. He didn't have the, he didn't have the connections. He didn't have the <laughs> intelligence. Like it's I just knew too, you can't just go to Walmart and buy. Deca. I just knew exactly. I just knew that he wasn't. I knew he wasn't. Right. And uh, and uh. Bro, he did his first bodybuilding comp- uh, competition, did a physique competition, won it, no prep. Did He He didn't even have a spray tan. What the fuck? <laughs> he just got on stage and won. What the fuck? And uh, it, sadly, then after that, he did get more serious with it. He got a coach, got yeah. more serious. I don't know if he ever got on gear of any yeah. kind, but I know he got more serious. And I know he came into some serious health complications. Fuck. And he was in the hospital. And it, that kind of training is something that may never be a a part of his life now. Right. Well, it does get very unhealthy. I mean, you see these guys that step on stage that look like anatomy classes, but mm-hmm. yo, I mean, I remember when Coleman, Ronnie Coleman, he went on Rogan's podcast. He's like, yeah, I'm at 1% body fat. That like people, like it, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Like to get to that level is unhealthy. Yeah. Like they're ready to die. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like they're, and a lot of them do. And yeah. Okay. So my, my wrap it up on this. My yeah. favorite bodybuilder is Frank Zane. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Well, that era is so great because He's, it wasn't the gear; the it golden, was, it, and and it was, but it wasn't the same well, gear, and right. it wasn't it wasn't the, the intensity. Yeah. The training style was different. The mm-hmm. tapers; these dudes like like you look like a Y back then, like the taper, you know, the yeah. V taper, the Y yep. taper. Now these guys just look like refrigerators. Well, they've bro. got the fucking turtle shell uh, the, going. The 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 the, um, the big Rammies and all them. The yeah. big Rammies. The what do you call it the, the, when their stomachs do that? The distended. The distended. Uh, Palumboism. Bro, the distended stomachs look so They're fucking bad. bad. It's bad. And that and that Frank Zane era, he was my favorite only bodybuilder to win Olympia under two hundred pounds. Yep. And his aesthetic was just nuts, bro. Like that over head lap pose where he's doing like mm-hmm. that one right there. It literally looks like a Greek god sculpture. Like that that's a picture of him. And it looked yeah. like somebody sculptured it out. Like and he wasn't the biggest dude. But this is the thing. That dude's still alive today. Yep. He's healthy. He's kicking. He just looks like this hippie old man now. Yes. Where Arnold looks like shit. Yeah, it's sad. Columbo's dead. Yeah. The Metzer, I think one of the Metzer brothers is dead. Uh, 
Dorian, you know, Dorian Yates is already out of that class. Like all those other dudes. Yeah. And I and bro, I don't want to be that cat. I don't want to look good for like 15, 20 no, years. No, it's scary. Yeah. And you see a guy like uh, I know you got to get out of here. No, but, you're good. But you're like, good. You see a guy like um, fuck the modern day Nick, one, Nick is, Walker. You look, okay. you see him. Have you seen that guy? I haven't. Look I was thinking up. of uh, dude. He's more of dramatic example, but uh, the five percent guy. Oh, Rich Piana. Yeah. And what was legit about him though is he was open about what he was doing. He was there open. Was no bull. Like he but was. But it fucking, fucking killed him. It killed him. Right. Snort but he pre workout. Yeah. Shit. He was. He was about the. He was about what he preached. He's like. Exactly. I am a part of the five percent people to get the biggest that I could possibly be. Yeah. He did the synthol injections. He did the oil injections. He was on an ungodly amount of steroids. I remember he did this. Um, he did a web series where it was Road to Three Hundred, and every day he was putting on two pounds. That's ridiculous. That is ungodly. Like it's not right. Yeah, and you're right. It, but if you look at this guy, Nick, we, I very encourage you to look okay. him up. He on his fucking calves, dude. His um, veins are so like you know John Cena's got that one like big vein oh, yeah, that goes yeah, down yeah. there. Imagine a clump of that on his calves. Like oh, it's okay. disgusting. Like it's yeah. it's fucking disgusting. Like I appreciate what he's doing. I appreciate the worth it. They call that something but it's, it's for, varicose, veins. varicose veins. It yeah, is when those cluster Yes. They don't look good either. It's not bro. good. And I look at a guy like him because we were having a lot of bodybuilders die in their mid thirties, early forties. Mm-hmm. That motherfucker's next. And I think yeah. that's, just like you just said, these dudes who get so huge, they have this uh, the palumboism, they have the extreme gynecomastia. Like, shit like that is why the modern person doesn't really like bodybuilders. But then if you show them a picture of a Chris Bumstead, mm-hmm. where they're the classic physique, they want to look like Arnold, they want to look like Frank Zane, mm-hmm. and they're prime, they're skinnier, they're yeah. a lot more lean, they have that V taper. Mm-hmm. They just look better. Like, yeah. We'll see what Chris Bumstead looks like in his 60s. Should he make it that far? Yeah. Hopefully he does. But I think, uh, it's just scary. My favorite dude right now, and he's also entertaining, which is people, I mean, you know this too. There's no money in, there's like, there's no money in, like, low rank <laughs> comedy. There ain't no money in bodybuilding. Nope. Even if you're winning, bro, like, your average, even, like, actual people are into the gym to be like, name three of the top bodybuilders right now. That's what you're going to hear. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Maybe they'll say Phil Heath. Maybe they'll say. But uh, when's the last time he even competed? And that's what I was gonna say. But that's the only one I can see. Like the last three Olympians, they all look great. But I can't even remember their fucking names. There's Sean, uh, Sean something one one really. I think he was the guy that beat Phil Heath. But none of the guys, you don't know who they are. Yeah. And there's just no money in bodybuilding unless you have the craziest amount of endorsements. Yep. You have to become a YouTube bodybuilder, YouTube, Instagram, Instagram bodybuilder. Yes, yes, that's yes, why yes. guys like. Um, like, uh, gosh, like, a, uh, who's like the super famous YouTubers right now that I'm thinking the name's just ex- Bradley Martin. Bradley Martin's the first one, yeah, that I came to right away. Um, His whole raw brand, the Gorilla Mind. Yes, I, I actually mind like Bradley Martin. Derek. There's one dude I don't like at all, gosh, and he always he's the one dude that people always say he lifts with fake weights on Instagram. Oh, um, <laughs> Athlean X. No, not Athlete X. Uh, gosh, what's his name? Fake weights. He's a big dude, too. He's like a stocky big dude, big smile. He's always like, he's a guy always he's like, boom, baby, boom, like what? Oh, um, I'm trying to think of his name, but he actually has done a couple like videos like with Brad Castleberry where they're kind of like beefing, but they say that he lifts like fake weights and stuff. Oh, I want to like bring this dude up just to. Because I know the guy who runs Athlean X has been accused a lot 
with using fake weights and because it's really because he doesn't even lift that heavy though he's just like a lean dude well he and the other thing too is people accuse him of not being natural which i can buy because he's so shredded all the time Mm -hmm. like he maintains a body weight that has to be below six percent there's no way because he literally oh it is brad castleberry no i'm okay yeah yeah, it is i was thinking to brad bradley martin but it's brad castleberry so yeah that dude I don't know what to believe with him because he is giant. He's like a yeah. jacked fucking dude. But there's a lot of things saying that he lifts like fake weights and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Well, then there's um, a real sad story. Um, uh, Callum Von Moger. Have you seen what's happening? Yeah. To yeah. Him? What's going on? Oh, well, he had some surgeries. Well, because he he was supposed to be like the next like well, movie they, star well, bodybuilder. They, they created like in this is a rumor, but okay. the rumor was they did the whole classic physique at like the Olympia level, the NPC level for him. They were expecting uh, they brought him, him to, they, they were, brought that back. Yeah. I was so happy when they brought that class back. Well, they were too. expecting him to compete and he never did. Mm. Like he did like once or twice. But the poor guy was going through some bad mental health issues, I guess, and he was in a hotel. It wasn't in the States. I don't know where he's at. Maybe it was Australia where he was from. But he was in this hotel condo setup, got higher than fuck on meth and, what? and jumped out the window. Yeah. Pull on on what? yeah, jumps out of the window, fractures parts of his leg. I mean, he's shattered with fucking glass. Oh yeah, and then um this guy who coached How do you say him, his name again? Callum Von Moger? Callum Von Moger. Yeah. Okay. And this dude that used to train him a lot, his name's Eric uh Delario or something like that. Okay. He was posting a lot about him like in support and all that. And then now it's I mean, you look at Callum's Instagram page and it's all very like uh, he's he got right with God. He figured mm. I was gonna. He's in rehab. He's in all wow, these things. Okay. It's really sad, man. It's really sad. Um, but anyway, to end my, this on, but my favorite dude, my favorite <laughs> yeah. dude right now is Joe Aesthetics. Joe Aesthetics. Yeah, I've seen him. Joe. Yeah. Not only his physique is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy that he could. Stay, he must be that dude that's like one percent of that genetic makeup. Yeah, because it's so crazy that he could stay lean that year round. Mm-hmm. And he definitely got famous because of the chest rip. He was the first dude with that chest ripple video. Oh, oh, where, yeah, 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 where he would yeah, do that, yeah, and then yeah, he would yeah, do that, yeah. and he would like. Because mm-hmm. I remember seeing that for the first time, and be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and now I've seen now it's like probably like pretty popular. And yeah. I've even gotten to the point where I've like recorded myself doing. It. I'm like, "Whoa, shit!" Like, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, that dude. And his videos are so funny. Like when he watches his trading videos, I'm like, "All right, bro, you pick up the bar." He's like, "I don't know where he's from, but his accent is fucking yeah. amazing." <laughs> Lightweight, bro, you pick it up, you push your elbows out like these, like these, bro. All right, all right, all right bro. Like it's so the energy is so fun to yeah. watch like so yeah the bodybuilding shit I, I love it it's still my favorite thing comedians still like i'm still training at the gym all the time i'm still gonna go to the gym after this good shit so. and i that's exactly what i did before we got off yeah. so yeah well that's listen true. man again i'm it's been awesome to like Yo, watch it. what you're doing and you, everything from doing open mics to getting the lobo theater man you're, yeah, you're a fucking you. inspiration dude I appreciate that a lot. like you're out here For you're, you're doing real, it um, where can people find all your comedy, your social media? Where's all yes, that at? Definitely. So I'm all over the place. My Instagram is Zachabeta Comedy. That's my main hub. Zachabeta on Facebook. Zachabeta Comedy on YouTube to find my uh, podcast, Fiend City Podcast. Look out for a new episode very soon. Our last episode recorded was amazing. And then a Lobo Theater every last Sunday of the month. Last Sunday of the month, Lobo Theater is Zach Abeda and Friends, my show over there. So, Fuck yeah, man. Well, yes. look, it's been a pleasure. Bro, thank you so much. Dude, For real. I'd, I'd love yes. to have you back on. Yeah, let's do it again. That was, an easy, awesome. that was an easy hour plus, so we'll do it again quick. Fuck yeah, man. All right, well, thank you everyone for listening and watching. Oh, Catch yeah. you next time. Bye, only, everybody. Only Kings. <laughs>